Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's show will be The Stuff and Full Moon High. Sometimes you're eating it, sometimes it's eating you. That sounds like porn. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. <sighs> Everybody seems really excited. Are you kidding me? Just one lick. It's never enough but the stuff. That help? <laughs> Sure. I mean, that could take us right into the movies, I guess. No need for any pre-show banter. <laughs> we don't even need to talk about the movies. We can just talk about that. The the plethora of bitchin' stuff theme songs throughout the movie. I will say they, uh, they did kind of nail what 80s uh, commercials were like. It is very reminiscent of what I remember. <laughs> Uh, well, let's not get too excited because before we get there, we got to talk about Full Moon High. Oh, so Noah, why don't you tell us about Full Moon High? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's. It's Larry Cohen week on the podcast, so the most of what you're going to hear, folks, is just us trying to explain the plot of the films. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucked up. So this very popular high school guy who's. He's kind of an ugly tool, but apparently everyone really likes him. Yeah, but it was 1981, so he's 1970s hot. Goes he goes to Romania with his dad, who's like a weird piece of shit. I don't. We have to specify specifically. He's Ed McMahon. Yeah, it's Ed McMahon. F- fucking young ladies in dismissing his son, essentially. <laughs> Which, I thought he was telling them the the properties about America or some other whatever lame excuse he came up with. I was gonna say, don't don't get me wrong. It's it's probably the best part of the movie is watching <laughs> Ed McMahon fuck bitches. <laughs> oh come on, the best part of the movie is when they ask him where the, he hid the microfiche, and he starts walking all funny. <laughs> also pretty good Ed, Ed McMahon's really the highlight of this movie yeah, yeah. Uh, while in Romania uh, he gets bitten by a shitty werewolf <laughs> he's not kidding either it's a shitty werewolf it's a real shitty looking werewolf and uh, he's, he's told that he's cursed and that he'll never grow old and basically, he'll wander the world until he gets bored, and then he has to go back home and complete his destiny, and only then can he die. Uh, so he goes and he wanders, I don't know, New York for 20 years, 
And apparently, instead of murdering people as a werewolf, he just gently bites people. Yes. <laughs> Leading to many, many comical headlines. Yes. The, the nipper, they call him. Uh, he goes back home. All of his friends have uh, aged. And he obviously is the same age, so he pretends to be his own son. And he goes back to high school so that he can play in the big game, which he thinks is his unresolved destiny. Uh, along the way, there is a psycho ex-girlfriend, a hot teacher, and a, a American Beauty-esque honeypot hot chick. <laughs> uh, in which, the weird thing is, him fucking any of them is incredibly inappropriate. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's it's any sexual contact works. would be a crime, yeah. Yeah, it's it's all bad. If he fucks if he fucks the ex-girlfriend, she's now married to who was his best friend, so that that's no bueno. Well, also she's an adult and he hasn't aged, so she'd be committing a crime. Right. Right. Same thing with the teacher. So if they fuck him, he's still a child physically. I don't know how that works, but if he fucks the high schooler, he's fucking 40. You yeah, shouldn't yeah. be fucking fucking a high schooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twilight fans. <laughs> That's not yeah. supposed to. Happen. Edward Cullen is a pedophile. Just so everyone is, is firmly but, aware of that. But then so would Angel from Buffy B. So it's Angel's yeah. also a pedophile. But so magic they, and stuff, though. Yeah. So they perfected this uh, <laughs> this uh, storyline in Near Dark. When they talk about that kid who's stuck in a kid's body, but he's like 100 years old. Yeah. Near Dark, one of very few horror movies to actually take all of these ridiculous ideas and treat them seriously. Yeah. Actually was like, yeah, what's this kid supposed to do? Also, Near Dark, arguably best vampire movie. Arguably. In the discussion of best overall movie, it's on the list. We'll have a full discussion of Near Dark one day. <laughs> Maybe we should drift back <laughs> to these Larry Cohen movies, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, this, this movie, so yeah, I, would, goes, I would say, not on the list of best werewolf movies. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. This should just be called Dad Joke the Movie. <laughs> like, uh, that's all it is. It's just shitty dad jokes repackaged and it's like the same shitty dad jokes told over and over and over again you notice how you're not getting any pushback <laughs> right well that's what i'm saying oh. we all know we all know what this is and, and so don't get me wrong there's a couple moments in the movie where i like laughed pretty fucking hard but for the most part, they have they definitely have nothing to do with the main character, who is just an, an unlikable fucking charisma vacuum brick of a fucking character. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. Just but, tell us whatever you really think, though. Don't, you don't have to hold back like that. That's fine. Yeah. Just... But his, his fictional dad and his actual dad are probably the highlights of the movie. Because Ed McMahon's his fictional dad, and as we were saying earlier, it's pretty pretty much any time Ed McMahon's in this movie, that's fucking gold. His character is fucking ridiculously over the top, but I, I don't give a shit. And and then uh, 
Alan Arkin once he shows up. His character is also ridiculous. But Alan Arkin, unlike his son, can act. Correct. Shots fired. <laughs> hey, it's it's just the truth. <laughs> so can Maybe I he guys... got better. I can't recall anything else that the Arkin son is in, to be honest. Uh, I know, Hall- I know he Halloween H two O. Oh, see, well, that's not a positive. <laughs> well, he's not bad. The movie is just terrible. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a serious question about this movie? So, sure. like a half an hour in, right? He goes on his bus trip to New York, encounters his second pedophile, and makes the great joke about how all pedophiles probably know each other. Um, and all of a sudden, like 20 years pass, and he comes back, and it's the 80s. Did you guys have any clue leading up to that moment that this movie was set in the past? Because no. I had no yeah. idea. I just yeah. assumed the movie was set in 1981 until something weird happened, and they started like flipping through pictures of presidents to show that time was passing. And I'm like, Oh, I guess it wasn't 1981 in the beginning of this movie. No, uh, in the beginning, all the cars are like fifties cars. Were they really? Yeah. She paid attention. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and some of the girls are wearing like the pom pom dresses and stuff. So See, I thought that was just, ba- I, I noticed that and just thought it was bad costuming because a lot of high schools in eighties movies kind of look like high schools from the fifties. Right. in Lower budget eighties movies. Weirdly, I am 100% with Doug on that. That I just, I just assume it's bad filmmaking and that (laughs) like, and that the person thinks that every high school looks like a 1950s high school for some reason. Well, I guess before the movie, I also read this is supposed to be a parody of like those. I was a teenage werewolf. I I was a, yeah, teenage werewolf movies and stuff like that. So I would kind of, I guess was in on everything. Before I, start. I will say in that first half there are a few little horror movie references where obviously they are homaging things that came before them there's a wolfman reference which is pretty on the nose but there's a psycho reference um and i, I kind of enjoyed those i thought they were reasonably well done hmm. like the psycho reference is uh somebody in the shower with very similar music playing trying to stab out of the shower which is a nice little twist kind of a fun little <laughs> just nod to horror fans there which i appreciated mm-hmm. but uh I, yeah i'm not going to sit here and defend this movie too much because it's a <laughs> werewolf movie with almost no werewolf in it like you said there's a few jokes every now and again that land and i it's almost like they just keep doing jokes over and over again. Like if you watch the movie, you're bound to laugh at a couple just because there's so many. But like when they get to like the, the funny headlines that they're showing, it's just like, well, eventually one of those is going to be funny to you because they do like 10 of them in a row. So <laughs> I don't know how you would not find at least one funny, but no one wants to watch 10 of those in a row. That's just not good filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I'd say, so if I was still doing the film festival and this was a film festival submission, I might be like, ha ha ha. Somebody made a, a weird corny movie on a budget of $35. And this is kind of great. But since this is a mu- movie that was actually made by like professional people making a movie, it is a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of there. You have to grade them on a different scale. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, besides, you know, reading that it was supposed to be a parody, I didn't realize it was going to be like 
one step below naked gun type humor. I I was going to say here's a, the, the problem I have with that approach is I was a teenage werewolf is a parody. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a parody of the werewolf genre. So they're making a parody of a parody of the werewolf genre. And, and they barely put any werewolves in it. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's and it's got very little to do with werewolves. Like, put a and fucking that, werewolf in your werewolf movie. And then coincidentally came out the same year as, like, one of the greatest werewolf movies of all time. Yeah, but, I mean, you wouldn't know that watching it. Too. No. Because it no, doesn't but I'm look just like it was made in the same... It does not look like it's made in the same era. This looks so no. much older. It does not, but... It's just one of those, like, I'm sure people went and saw that and then went and saw this and they're like, what the fuck is going on? What was the, what was the other one that came out that year? American, American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. See? And once again, that uh, is kind of a parody of werewolf movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and it's that. done in a good way where there are yeah. werewolves <laughs> and, and, a fu- and funny jokes every once in a while. Yeah. Although... It significantly lacks Ed McMahon fucking bitches. <laughs> which, which, once again, if there's any saving grace to this movie, it's fucking Ed McMahon. I will say his, uh, his death scene when he fires the gun in that underground uh, bunker and the bullet ricochets like 300 times <laughs> and it just fades away with the ricochet sound still happening. That was probably... My favorite moment of the movie, just watching all that happen, and that it's still just ricocheting around, and then cut to the funeral. I like the fact that he's he's slowly like kind of ducking and scooting back through that tiny room, like somehow he's going to dodge the bullet. <laughs> yes, that actually leads me to the one thing in this movie that I thought I liked, which is the anti right wing political commentary that's clearly in there. Like they take this you know, hard right, we hate the commies, dad, and they make him into this just buffoonish character. And then they totally play up the uh, the fun angle of like, when he, the high school's like perfect in the 50s, and then comes back in the 80s, and it's just all completely trashed, and <laughs> everything is gone to hell. And it's it's like, it's obviously like a commentary on how baby boomers were looked at high school in in the 80s they thought like oh everything's just gone terrible we were perfect young children and now look what they've done to our society and this obviously is just just turning that up to 11 for the sake of it where it's like the teacher is going on about how you know she's taught at seven schools and been sexually assaulted in all of them including the all-girls elementary school that she went to and stuff and it's like okay yeah i see what you're saying here you're it's pretty funny it's not really gonna, I find that joke problematic because it is funny. Yeah. Like, mm, sexual assault joke, not not good, but it's done in a clever way, which almost makes you want to laugh at it. And you're like, ah, double bad. Well, here's Take the thing. thing. Get yeah, rid of that because <laughs> the, mo- the movie sets you up for it because it opens like two minutes into the movie. You've got the coach in the 50s who's. <laughs> like showering with his students and one of the students drops the soap and he's like, ah, oh, it was almost all used up anyway. I'm not bending over. And the coach is like, nah, come on, man, bend over and get it. And it's like, that's just a, like for a PG movie, that type of humor does not belong in there at all. Well, and the fact that the coach slash future principal is made out to clearly be, uh, the, 
the trope of the evil gay. Yeah, it's it's mm. problematic on so many levels. Yeah. Here yeah. comes Coach. Here comes Coach Grabass again, as uh, Bob Saget said as he walked away from camera. It's just, yeah, I don't. Uh, I did not. I did not think that humor belonged in this movie. Again, like you can do your sort of real dark type jokes like that in in the right environment and if they're done well. But this was just like just to casually amidst your like cheesy headlines and stuff we're just going to throw in some pedophilia jokes so it's like no nah, no those don't belong here <laughs> and then it's like yeah, but, but it was 1981 so i think that is where they belong because everybody was maybe. just like eh. that could be it it could be that like if i'd seen this movie when it was new i wouldn't have thought this possibly because i've been three but yeah for sure uh yeah yeah the jokes don't age well no definitely not those particular ones but again like i I actually thought the one about the teacher later in the movie was kind of funny because it's done better and at the end of the day like i can get all upset about humor being inappropriate but if it makes me laugh it makes me laugh and sometimes inappropriate humor is funny um just that that opening joke was just not because right away you've got like a coach walking in just to shower with his high school students i'm like nope not on any level First of all, you're not even sweaty. You're the coach. You didn't go out there and practice. So I don't know why you need a shower. Second of all, no, not in with all those other kids. Thirdly, I just got upset. I'm like, did they really make high school kids all shower together back then? Because I don't even agree with that. Now I'm upset oh, about yeah. that. Did you not? Did you not shower in high school? Yeah, we had stalls. Individual. Well, la di da. Canada had stalls, Noah. Yeah. Our elementary school did have like a group shower. No one used it. Ours only had group showers. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty interesting because basically there was like only two type of people. There were the people that were just like, fuck it, I guess I stink the rest of the day. And and then the people who were like awkwardly trying to hold a towel around their dick and <laughs> take a shower mm-hmm. somehow. No, so we had the third, which was everybody run into the locker room as soon as Jim was over and the, I don't know, locker room attendant, I don't know what the fuck you'd call him, um, would make it down there and you'd run into the shower in your gym clothes and then just wet your hair and then run back to your to your locker and start changing. So they thought, oh, he, he's been in the shower already. And then you just... About so, so you're telling me that that scene from the 90 it where they're, they're like forcing the kid to shower against his will is something that would really happen i mean we had in high school like it, like junior high grade school nobody ever was like you have to shower um i don't feel like in high school they would have went to the length of stopping you in the hallway and making you go take a shower but they would kind of walk through the locker room and be like if you haven't showered you need a shower let's go and that would be about the extent of it uh, i don't like that i don't yeah. like your high school <laughs> i didn't uh, like i didn't like my didn't high either. school but i don't like yours as well <laughs> it's pretty much all american high schools yeah so, so making him shower in it is not outside the realm of possibility. But they, they in my school, did not enforce it as 
strictly as they did in that movie. Okay. I mean, Doug, I, I very literally went to one of those small town uh, schools where they attempted to teach us that creationism is very literally equal to scientific theory. No, ours didn't go that far. I even went to a Catholic. I even went to a Catholic school, and they didn't even try that. They're just like, nah, we're not going to go there. Jesus. All right. Well, full moon high. Yeah. Check it. Check it out. No, don't. It's. It, it honestly wasn't very good. I found it like it's uh, what like, it like an hour thirty, and I had to take a break watching it. It I, took too long to get. Through. I get why it's got a cult following. But I am not a member of that cult. No, well, I think, and, and honestly, we'll, we're going to have probably some discussion about this in the upcoming movie too. But I think Larry Cohen movies are not necessarily for me. This type of humor does not sustain uh-oh. an hour and a half long time for me. Um, you know, Real obviously, there's going to be some some negative talk about the stuff in the next. Obviously, segment. some movies are better than others. Um, but it's, you know, the, the kind of semi nonsensical plot line where you're like, wait, so he has to go back and win the big football game in order to be allowed to die as a werewolf. And you just kind of casually drop that and it just kind of comes out and it's spoken in, in like a humorous way. It turns out to actually be the plot of the movie. It's like, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> just like all those kinds of things are just, they're not really for me. Um, and the, the humor, like we've said, it's, it's a million jokes. You're going to laugh at a couple. You have to just playing the odds. You're going to laugh at some of the jokes, but there's not a high enough percentage of those that are funny to, uh, sustain it for me. So I just feel like if, if I'm going to watch, uh, a weird pseudo shitty horror comedy, I'm probably going to watch student bodies instead of this. Yeah, fair. I've not seen student bodies, but I would say that's probably a, a pretty a much yeah, better bet. That is, that is one of these random situations where I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> well, you know, there is one other thing we should talk about with Full Moon High before you guys get off on a tangent. Um, okay. Did you guys notice like this movie had some major influences on future films that are probably better known and better liked, such as like he has to turn into the werewolf to win the big game is basically the entire plot of teen wolf they just they just did it they're like what about that idea we'll just make it whatever sports popular the year we're making our movie and we'll uh yeah if he's a wolf he can that automatically makes him good at sports and therefore he can uh take over the the school and become very popular so i thought that was interesting that this movie yeah but what four years earlier something like that at the end of teen wolf he learned he didn't need to be the wolf well yeah because teen wolf was made by I'm saying the idea is there. Okay. Right. then it's like, what happens if you take that idea and turn it over to competent writers and a good director, you get teen wolf. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also just, I couldn't help, but think about the girl from Wayne's world, whatever that like ex-girlfriend that wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> I feel, I feel like Mike Myers saw this before he wrote Wayne's world <laughs> and he just kept, a. It, she, the way she was like hanging onto the back of that school bus and I'm like oh in the hands of good filmmakers that's funny because she rides a, her bike into a car while the one's playing road hockey um, <laughs> if it's a severed head it would be very upset 
I don't even own one gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. But anyways, let's not get down that tangent. Uh, what do we do at a Wayne's World show? Uh, we'll get just there. Just be an hour and a half of us just quoting it's the just movie. Just repeating the movie. Wayne's World. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Anybody else have anything else to say about Full Moon High? Because I don't. No, I mean, the good things about it were the couple of little tributes to horror and trying to guess what other movies ripped this off in the future. And then the bad things about it were the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's that the movie exists. Yeah, That's it, the biggest problem with the movie is that it exists. And that it's, well, it, yeah, it's just I didn't I don't like the plot of the movie. Most of the humor didn't work. Most of the acting isn't good. I like the political commentary that's scattered in, but I, that, that it's only important if you're enjoying the movie. Otherwise, what? who cares? And it's not like it's a bold stance for a comedy film to come out against the hard right politics of the 80s. Like, <laughs> ooh, look at you guys standing your ground. Um, yeah. Uh, I was going to say something. Oh, I read that this is Larry Cohen's first comedy. Okay. So maybe that... <laughs> that was part of the problem but just yeah why not you know there's something to be said for he's the writer director and producer if this was yeah. his first time doing any of those things it's because it's not like we've complained about it a lot it's not that bad it's just not good and like similar to what noah said is like if you if your friends made this movie you'd be like all right guys you tried good here's a little pat on the back yeah. um yeah good good job but if, you know, professional adults who make films for a living make this, it's kind of unacceptable. Yeah. I don't know. We're probably, we might hear from people who are fans of this. I understand it does have a cult following. That's how it ended up on the list, is I'm like, people like this, and I've never seen it. So, why not? And then I'm like, oh, look, it's for free on YouTube. That's a good sign. <laughs> uh, for some reason, it was free on Paramount+. Plus. So, I get to watch what I assume would be a good version of it, but... I don't know. Still wasn't enough to save it. Well, no, I don't think the visuals were really the problem with the movie. So I don't think if you prove the. Well, maybe they would have helped. Would have helped with some of the uh, werewolf. Uh, well, I, or I certainly werewolf stuff. I wasn't as upset by the opening werewolf as you guys. Were. Oh wait, that was one of the jokes I liked. Was when the, the first werewolf comes and there's like the ominous music, and then there's just a guy standing off to the side with a violin. <laughs> I actually kind of enjoyed that. That was a good joke because it kept coming back whenever there's about, about to be a werewolf. There's violin music and the, the guy is just going around playing, playing the violin. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of another movie you've never seen before, do you want to tell people about the stuff? Um, I can try. <laughs> Let's see. So some guys just find some stuff bubbling up out of the ground decide but better eat that um that's my favorite part of the movie uh, just, hey look at that there's something bubbling out of the ground okay taste it <laughs> like, what um and then it's like cut to a couple of years later and that stuff is the most popular dessert on the planet it's now being marketed as the stuff we get lots of funny commercials uh, there's two sort of ki- not like 
plots running side by side at one point. One is a industrial spy hired by competitors to find out what the stuff is, is investigating it and trying to track it down. The other one is a kid just sees the stuff moving in his fridge one night and decides he's going to single-handedly prevent anyone else from ever eating any of it ever again. <laughs> Eventually, those two storylines merge, and we find out the stuff is aliens or something, and it gets inside people and basically controls them and uses them up and then leaves their bodies behind, which is interesting. But you have to eat a certain amount of it to get there. Sentient so, marshmallow fluff. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if it's all one sentient being or if it's a bunch. It's not clear to me. Um, anyways, yeah. So then the kid and the private investigator team up and they go and just get a militia that happens to be floating around and decide to take on the stuff and at the same time spread the word about what it is to everyone out there who will uh who will uh then stop eating the stuff i guess and then it'll all just that solves the whole problem and the movie ends with the big twist of the stuff being marketed under a different name effectively the taste but i mean man that's a brief plot description for a movie that has a lot of weird shit going on in it. <laughs> so this is the first time watch for you. It was. You made it seem like you maybe didn't enjoy it as much as we had hoped you would. Um, I obviously enjoyed it a lot more than Full Moon Eye. Just go right ahead and say that. Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of good funny stuff with the stuff, like whatever, like. The level of humor is highly elevated in this movie. Like, instead of just having, you know, fucking full on just saying, like, hey, remember when you got raped by little girls? Like, and thinking that's funny, which again, I, I did laugh at in the last movie, but, you know, this in this movie, they've elevated it to the point of the girl screams and white fluff splats on her face and it just hovers there for a second. And it takes you as an <laughs> audience member to go, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing there. Which is a much better joke, right? Um, so, yeah, definitely definitely a step up. Still felt like um, a very... A, it, it felt very long, even though it's like an hour 34 or something like that. Which is, I think, my problem with it. And not that I didn't like... There, there wasn't much going on that I didn't like. You know, it's just... Uh, maybe it similar to the last movie it's kind of enough of the same thing over and over again All right. so it's like it's not I, again i'm not saying i don't like it i'm just saying i maybe its reputation uh had my expectations a little higher than where they should have been what about you know i'm assuming you love the stuff i'm a pretty big fan uh, yeah. oh, I, oh i knew that <laughs> <laughs> well so this this movie has an unfair advantage over most movies. Uh, everyone knows my irrational and passionate love of catchy theme songs for horror <laughs> movies. And this one, you don't just get one, you get like seven because they keep redoing the theme song for the stuff over and over and over again in these commercials. And it, it, it just gets more delightful every time. 
I will say I found that joke um, like at the beginning. I thought, oh, that's just stupid. And then I, that was the one joke that as they kept replaying commercials, I kept going, no, now I'm starting to like this more. <laughs> you're, you're falling prey to the marketing inside yeah. of the movie. Well, and the ironic part is that they keep saying that it's like the best marketing plan ever. And I'm like, well, it's working on me. So I guess, I mean, the movie's at least being honest about that. <laughs> It's like, well, I guess they're telling the truth. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know. I, I like a lot about this movie. I like the fact that it's kind of, uh, it comes out pretty hard on the anti-marketing train. Sure. It's it's really anti-everything that was going on in the 80s. Yeah, consumerism. Yeah. Consumerism, the pumping uh, food full of whatever chemicals that nobody yeah. would even know because nobody read the packaging. They're just like, I oh, don't know, tastes good. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I've always thought I don't, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I always thought this was more of than marshmallow fluff a p- pastiche on Cool Whip because mm-hmm. the ingredients of Cool Whip are terrifying. I don't know if you've ever actually. No, no read don't. It. Can I would like you to stop now? <laughs> just move on from this discussion. School Whip is fantastic, and it's not like it, you have it that often. So whatever's Listen, in it is probably fine. It tastes. It tastes delicious. It's just not made out of food. It's lots of things aren't made out of food. Yeah, but most of those things aren't food. <laughs> well, okay, if you're gonna nitpick. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. They, they, like I said, I kind of I get in on it. I I even like the fact that they kind of do the same thing that Night of the Living Dead did, where they're like, yeah, these psychos living in their forts hoarding guns are are dangerous idiots. But when the apocalypse comes, they're the danger dangerous idiots that are going to survive, and the rest yeah. of us are fucked. Well, let's talk about how far ahead of its time this movie is, because. When these guys are like, we need help. And he's like, I know a guy. So there's this ridiculous conspiracy theory riddled militia living in a castle somewhere run by a former military guy. And they just go there. And once they get him on board, he's like, yeah, that's fine. I've been spreading my ridiculous conspiracy theories through these radio stations that I own. And it's like, oh, oh, people should have paid more attention to this movie because because we know where this ends up it's like jesus christ i didn't know that people knew in 1985 that ridiculous conspiracy theorists were running militias and taking over right-wing radio i thought that that's something we only realized later but apparently larry cohen knew about it way back then right i mean the leader who knew him anybody who knew him would tell you larry cohen was way ahead of his time on a lot of stuff oh there you go I was going to say, I don't know if he was doing his thing or not yet at that point in time, but essentially the leader of the militia is Alex Jones. Yeah. Like, and not, not like a little bit, like it's fucking Alex Jones. Well, yeah, it's possible that Alex Jones based his character on this guy. If the, if this guy's not based on Alex Jones, like it's one or the other. <laughs> Right, because both are acting just as much. I just don't know which one of them did it first. I love, I love his speech at one point where he's going, you know, whenever I grew up, I was always the strongest and fastest and best and most liked and most attractive, and it was really hard. 
<laughs> that sounds exactly like every right wing politician now, though. <laughs> I am the, I am the victim, despite being the best at everything. But it's I, I I was blown away by how much they nailed it with that commentary, and I'm just like, that's weird from 1985. Because keep in mind, like this is the same year as Commando, which like their their political commentary was. Oh, those guys live in an island and dress in khaki. It's okay to blow them up, right? So, so I'm just well, looking them up. Apparently, Alex Jones is only like five years older than us. Okay, which is he looks right. Nice. Right. <laughs> Star right. Wars was right. The dark side of the force fucking <laughs> destroys you. <laughs> yeah, he's only 47 in real life. Okay, and by real life, I mean Earth years. Yeah, whatever the fuck thing he's doing. Um, huh. All right. So then that's, he, he may very well have seen the stuff. He may have seen the stuff and that may have heavily influenced his behavior going forward. Interesting. I didn't know. I had never pieced that together. Weird. Did you guys also notice that in both movies they reference uh, conspiracy theories around fluoride in the water? <laughs> like, obviously, that's something that pissed Larry Cohen off. Where it's like, why do these fucking idiots have a problem with fluoride? <laughs> Let's make the stupid people in both movies upset about fluoride. <laughs> and commies. I noticed there was another comment about how... Uh, the, the commies thing know. is just kind yeah. of given, though. Can't have this black man on my, on my airwaves. You say one thing, uh, one commie agenda. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, there's... There's an interesting discussion we can have about this stuff. Chocolate Chip Jones. <laughs> yeah. Racist? Question mark? <laughs> the fact that he's called Chocolate Chip Jones? The fact that he's called Chocolate Chip Jones, the fact that he constantly speaks in that over-the-top kind of black slang, like as if he's in a black exploitation movie, but nobody else is. Mm. And then the whole time he's running around making a fool of himself, like talking about how his hands are lethal weapons and shit. I think that's just how Garrett Morris talks. Okay. Like he kind of talked that way on SNL as well. So I don't know. That's but I, like it was. I liked that character just so we're clear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if that yeah, wasn't was obvious, what, what that that's what came across when I was describing him. He was funny, I, man. I Every think. He... I think that character deserves a place in my imaginary uh, horror movie that is basically the Expendables of horror. Yeah. He's just just running around trying to punch out the bad guys all the time and then constantly having to turn and run away. And then just getting shipped off for a portion of the movie where it was inconvenient to have his character around. Fine, you go to Washington and come back at the end of the movie for the climax. (laughs) Turns out he'd been overtaken by the stuff. Yep. Whatever exactly that means. Did you guys understand like what the stuff is or what it does? Or did we just not care because it was gooey and fun to watch it splat on people? <laughs> I felt like it was just, yeah, it sort of takes over your body. Almost like an age of the body snatchers type thing. Okay. That's, yeah. But what, like, was it, A, was it alien? Because if it was alien, why did it come up from inside the earth? And then B, was it like one thing or a bunch of things? Some kind of a hive mind doodad. So, 
All right. It's what I'm getting from your responses is that you guys never stopped and thought about this and that I shouldn't either. Nope. I don't. I don't think it's supposed to make sense. No, I don't think they were even trying. Is that, that's fair. I think they were just like, wouldn't it be funny if shaving cream was trying to take over the world? Well, and I, I mean, it's not like anyone else in the 80s like the year before this came out would have had the idea to make giant puffy marshmallow stuff be the vic- villain in a movie. So it was a very original idea at the time and in no way, shape or form inspired by something that came out a year before. So I, I was the other thing is, so uh, if this movie does a great thing that I can't, don't think can be overstated. So the movie's, ridiculous right we all agree with that it's it's kind of (laughs) i don't think anybody's arguing that point right right it's it's silly and bonkers it's it's like a fucking looney tunes cartoon 75 percent of the time but then all of a sudden every time they do the effect of it coming out of someone it goes straight to body horror yes (laughs) and not gently like some no. of those effects, you're like, Jesus, fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> weren't, no, we just, weren't we just laughing? Wasn't there just a joke about where's the beef? Did they really do a where's the beef reference <laughs> in the middle of this fucking movie? And now fucking uh, our, our <laughs> kung fu black guy is fucking having his face stretched by a fucking uh, gross shaving cream dick coming out of his throat. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing to add to that. You're correct. <laughs> it's, it is one of the beautiful things about 80s filmmaking, man. I mean, like, obviously, the most famous example is probably Evil Dead 2, which would have been not too long before this of just this is a stupid slapstick comedy. But when we want to go gross, we're going gross. <laughs> it's like, and it's all fine. Just you, you'll take it all in the same movie and you'll like it. And, you know, it works. Yeah, oh, it's great. Gross. It's it's really effective. I was kind of grossed out since you keep bringing up shaving cream. The, when the kid was trying to make his family think that he was eating the stuff, he actually filled the carton up with shaving cream and was eating it. And I'm just cool. like, oh, that seems like a terrible idea. That's, that, that's, that's the part of the movie the that got to you. Oh. Oh, you just get some cool whip he was gonna say and i think they went the main character i think they were trying to go lovable asshole no they, they missed the mark then <laughs> they missed the mark on the lovable bit <laughs> yeah i didn't i did I not mean, get that they were going for lovable ash without any of the redeeming qualities of ash yeah <laughs> which for the record like again the, you could argue that he's a ripoff of Ash, and the reason Ash is a lovable character is because of Bruce Campbell. That's it, right? It's not like Ash ever does anything that's morally upstanding. Yeah. They call me Mo. They call me Mo because when somebody gives me something, I want Mo. What a fucking douche. He makes that joke what, three times? Uh, however many it is. 
they should have taken them all out. So, because it's not even a good joke the first time. I kind of do like, I, I like the, his introduction scene at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Where he comes in, he just kind of shits on all these people that are hiring him. And then whenever the guy basically tells him he's probably not going to be good at the job anyway, he informs him that he broke into his hotel room and planted a bug on him just uh, just for this moment. Yeah. So, which good, good, good way to get on the right side of your employer. Oh, everything about that scene is great because first of all, it takes place on a boat and he pulls up on a different boat to meet them, which is already funny. I don't, you know what I mean? Like who has a meeting like that? I don't even know how you'd coordinate that. But then he comes in, he's a dick to all these people. He makes them all look foolish. And for some unknown reason, he just punches the one guy on the way out. Because <laughs> they used to work together, but there's no indication that they didn't get along. Yeah, I don't know. Borrowed a stapler once, didn't return it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody else think it's uh, disturbingly 80s how fast the uh, the main female lead just decides she's going to fuck this guy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the second she finds out he's supposed to be rich, she's just like, yeah. And she just, it, because it's the 80s, she has an assistant whose job it is to help her fuck the guy. So she's oh. like, get me a dress, cancel all my other plans, and research this guy so I know how to bang him. And then there's the weird the weird implication through the rest of the movie that somehow now they're a couple. And I'm like, are they, though? What if, did, did I miss something? They just seem to be acting like a couple now, but I don't Listen, that happening. Don't you know that if you have sexual relations with another person, you then own them? <laughs> that's how it works especially in the 80s I guess. Right. yeah didn't he, didn't he go on to be on SNL for one horrible season the lead guy yeah I think so maybe uh, I, I did not recognize him but it's entirely plausible he's done a lot of uh, Larry Cohen movies I gotta look him up just one watched. lick is never enough for the stuff. I only watch Larry Cohen movies like every three months when we do a Larry Cohen week on this podcast. <laughs> for some reason, it just keeps happening. Yeah, and that was going to fill up a whole month and I have to keep it up. Ooh. We might not have enough left. We've done so many. There's always yeah. another Cohen movie. Uh, you should watch King Cohen, the documentary about Larry Cohen's life. It's actually really informative. I've actually heard it's quite good. I just have not gotten around to it yet. It was one of the things I wanted to watch. There was a time when I actually sat down. I was going to watch it, and then I didn't. Because he passed away, right? That was probably when I was going to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just died like last year or the year before. Yeah, yeah I think I was going to sit down and watch the documentary about his life when that news was happening, but the powers that be being the assholes they are took it off all the free streaming services when the new people would be looking for it. Like, well, I'm not paying three ninety nine for this. It's going to be free again next month. Now you pay. Uh, it was Michael Donahue is who I was thinking of. Michael Moriarty was not on uh, SNL. All right. You, you think all Michaels sure. look alike because you're kind of prejudiced against <laughs> Michaels apparently. Yep. They know what they did. That's fair. Um, I don't know. Anything else? Um, we all enjoyed it to different levels. Yeah, yeah. It's well. I mean, I mean the stuff. I 
I would put it on if if somebody told me I have to make like a list of horror movies that anybody who's interested in horror should watch at some point. This this stuff has to go on it. Oh, I I'm not there with this movie, just so we're clear. I don't even like the way you're referring you're, to it as a horror movie. It has horror elements. You're wrong. I'm not. Shh. <laughs> be calm be calm Doug it, it definitely has it's it's a fun movie to watch I wish there was more of the stuff killing people and grossing and grossing me out than there is of the human characters running around doing whatever the fuck they were doing like I, I it felt like you know maybe you could edit out the kids storyline or make it a movie about the kids' storyline. The, the, the two yeah. storylines running simultaneously seemed unnecessarily, and you could have just edited more body horror, and that would have been better for me. Maybe. I just think the scene of him running through the store with the rake fucking smashing the ever-living dog shit out of everything <laughs> needed to be twice as long. I, I enjoyed that element. However, the whole time, I don't know why my analytical brain just won't shut off sometimes. And I'm like, but he's not going to destroy enough of it to have any real impact. They've made it clear this is a global phenomenon. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, this kid is wasting his time and that's irrational. I don't know why I can't. I can't just stop and just like enjoy the fact that he's using a rake to trash a grocery store, <laughs> which quite hey, frankly, Doug. I'd love to see in real life now. And hey, yeah, real change starts at home. <laughs> it's a. <laughs> First, he he attacks his grocery store with a rake, and soon kids across the country are attacking grocery store with rakes. Exactly. I love the idea. One, one grocery store at a time. I just like that he's knocking the shit off the shelves, and he's like, "Don't eat that shit! Don't eat it!" And then he stops and looks up. And he's like, "Oh fuck this sign too!" And like pulls <laughs> the sign down. It's like, don't worry about the sign. Well, he, I like I was, to imagine that was improv. Because that would be really funny. Yeah. That's a really good idea if you're a filmmaker, too. You want to have 12-year-old kids in your movie and then let them improv with a rake in the middle of the set. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong. Just say, could you see Larry Cohen sitting in the director's chair? And he goes, well, that's the take, guys, because he just ripped down the fucking sign. And that's it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what else are we going to do. I mean, I only had the one sign. I also like when... Uh... When Mo pulls up in the car outside the kid's house and he's like, Hey, I'm a stranger. Get in the car. <laughs> kid's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And the way he convinces him, I saw it move too. It's like, Oh, yeah, this guy knows what's up. I'll jump in your car. Yep. Now we're going on an adventure together because why not? It's the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the era when like Indiana Jones had a child who drove his car for him and. The Goonies just went on an adventure with pirates for no reason. And Monster Squad was just able to call in the military by writing a letter. So, I mean, we can't really question that this kid just went on an adventure with this private investigator for no reason. It's true. Because I guess we just assume the kid's parents died. Oh, yeah. They're irrelevant. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they just hollowed out by the stuff. They, they may have or something else may have happened. And the movie does not care. Once that kid met up with our other characters, his whole storyline just fell behind him. Just like the fucking Langoliers. It just all was just gone. As soon as he got in that car, it's like nothing else happened back there. I do find I think the end of the movie is 
it, one of the things that happens whenever the uh, crazy uh, uh, conspiracy theorist guy gets on the radio and, you know, tells everybody not to eat it and all that. And then they're like, and people listened. And I've always thought that's the most unrealistic part of this movie. Like some dude gets on the radio and he's like, hey, don't do this thing you guys like doing. And everybody stops doing it. And then I was like, oh, no, well, recent history has changed that. So apparently <laughs> if you just say crazy dumb shit, half the fucking country will believe you. Yeah. That was depressing. Uh, yeah, way to ruin it, Noah. Yeah, bring it down. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, what did everybody watch since last week? Uh, well, I've continued my watch of Wellington Paranormal. Yeah. It's still delightful. Did you watch this week's episode that came in? Uh, I am like two episodes behind. Oh. I have it on uh, the DVR, though. A, a character from the movie pops up. Ooh, nice. Although it's not one of the ones you'd probably be very excited about, but it's still nice to see. Uh, yeah, so it's still funny. Uh, and then I went to the theaters and I saw The Green Knight. Yeah, uh, I almost went and saw it this weekend, but I didn't. Yeah, I, I've been pretty stoked for it. I like the the King Arthur stuff a lot. This one, I, I've got weird mixed emotions about it. So it's a beautiful movie and the acting's really good. And uh, it's a, it's maybe a little too long or if not too long paced incorrectly because it it fucking drags. Yeah. But my biggest problem, they change the ever living dog shit out of that story. <laughs> yeah. And changed it. And especially like one of the changes, it completely changes like what the story is, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. It's, it, it would be like remaking Rocky, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, <laughs> and Rocky breaks his leg halfway through the movie. <laughs> and the rest of the movie is about Rocky dealing with his broken leg. Does that, does that make sense? It's, it's hard to like compare it to something. So they, they changed uh, an integral part of the story that makes the story a completely different fucking story. It's no longer the story of the underdog taking on the big guy. You know what I mean? And instead it's the, it's this dude doing this other thing. Hmm. Okay. And I can't, I, I won't go into details about what exactly it is. They changed. Cause that would, I guess be spoilery since they changed it. But yeah, it, I don't know. It completely, it changes the ending. It changes what the story's about. They also made the main character weird. So Gwen, are, are you guys familiar with the Arthur stuff? You guys, do you guys, no. do you guys like medieval literature? <laughs> How are you on your medieval literature? Nope. I'm not very familiar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was figuring. So, uh, so Gwen in the stories in the, uh, 
this is hard to explain. So the, the King Arthur stuff is a collection of stories written by different people over a very long period of time. It's kind of like the Cthulhu stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the early stories all have Gawain as kind of like top dog. He's Arthur's nephew. He's the most chivalrous of all the knights. He's kind of like the the stand up be all kind of guy. And then in the later stories, the characters Lancelot and Galahad got really popular. And because of that, they changed the character of Gawain to make him shittier because they wanted Lancelot to be the best guy. And and so Gawain can't be the best guy anymore. So therefore, he has to be shitty. Does Does that make sense? Sure. Oh, I'm not listening. Right. So this story is an early story. So Gawain should be kind of this paragon of righteousness. And instead, he's kind of a piece of shit. Which, once again, completely changes what the story's about, <laughs> which is strange. It's strange making a change that recontextualizes something. I, I don't get that. Yeah, I don't know. You just sound like a comic book nerd complaining about something. I know, but see, but it's I'm a, not. It's, again, it's about medieval literature, so I don't know. Yeah, once again, once again, I'm not I'm not entirely complaining about it because I think it's a good movie and it's a good story and stuff. I just I don't understand the point of making that story if you're not going to tell that story. Uh, I think I see your point. I, I see your point. And I've had this complaint about other things. I'm just not able to comment on it because I don't know the source material and I haven't seen this movie and I'm probably not going to see this movie. So Right. Well, the source the source material for this particular one is a fucking poem, first of all. So there was a need to stretch because you can't make an entire fucking movie out of a goddamn poem. (laughs) There just isn't that much happening. So they had to add a whole middle bit. But when they actually got to the part that is the poem, they changed all of it. So I just I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They could have called it Gawain. And I think I would be less irritated than them calling it the Green Knight and then not actually telling the Green Knight story. Fair enough. Yeah. Complicated. Uh, and that's all I watched. Boring week. Going to see Suicide Squad this weekend, though. Yeah, I'm going to watch it from the comfort of my home on my HBO Max. Fuck that. Yeah. I got 75 inch TV, so makes it all right. Fuck, fuck that shit. (laughs) Sorry. What'd you watch, Doug? There's, there's something, there's something about watching a new release movie at home that I don't. It it feels like it robs me of the joy of going to see it. Yeah, it probably does. I'll probably (laughs) watch it and be like, oh, I didn't enjoy it as much as I had hoped. It's probably because I watched it at home. But it will have not cost me a single dollar, so I'll be okay with that. All right, what'd you watch, Doug? Uh, I do not have a lot either. Mm. Because I have my finger right on the pulse of society and I'm keeping track with everything as it comes out, I finally watched It Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was okay. Yeah. Uh, way too fucking long. Like, when they go into that house at the end to fight 
it. Mm-hmm. And I check and there's 45 fucking minutes left in the movie. And I'm going, no, <laughs> like your climax doesn't need to be 45 minutes long. You could at some point it's bad filmmaking to have it be that long. Uh, so. A climax that long only happens in Sting's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, stuff about it I really liked. I really liked Bill Hader's performance. I yeah. thought he nailed it. Um, when he was telling jokes at really inappropriate times, the way he played it so that it was like, the joke is kind of funny, but it's no one's going to laugh because you shouldn't be telling a joke right now. But you can tell from his character that he just doesn't know what else to do. So he's just reverting back to that one thing he knows. I, I was really impressed by the way that that came across. Um, now that having been said, Eddie and... Uh, oh, what's his name? The fat one. I did not like the portrayal of the adult versions of them. Uh, I didn't mind just, Eddie. Ben, I just I felt like there was nothing there. Yeah. Well, Eddie, I just felt he was like gone was all of the insecurity that kind of defines that character. And he was just angry instead, uh, which is less interesting and not what I wanted to see. And then Ben, I just felt like it was just like he was this like typical cool guy from a movie. And I'm just like, I don't congratulations on your denim shirt and your goatee. Like you're not interesting in any way. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, didn't even, wear, didn't even wear a vest like John Ritter did. Fuck that. No. Guy. no, but like when John Ritter did it, it was like, here's this guy who's successful and confident, but underneath all that, there's still that insecurity that comes with having grown up fat and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he tells that story about how he got into shape you can see that character change and grow and you can kind of picture that kid becoming that adult that didn't happen in this version at all, mm-hmm. uh, which is a real problem for me because it was just, you know, and then it's sort of like, for me, it, it hurt Jessica Chastain's character because now it's like, well, she's just falling for this douchebag, right? Rather than, you know, realizing that he, there was always this good person underneath all along and that she was, you know, not able to see it because of the physical issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all that's kind of gone. And it's just like, well, look how dreamy he is. Of course, she's going to love him. And it's like, I don't, it kind of took away some of that stuff. Uh, I also thought some of the horror elements just didn't work. And some of them worked really well, which was problematic. So, like, there's the scene where where Bev goes back to her dad's um, old apartment to retrieve her token or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff where she's interacting with that old lady is great. It's like genuinely great. And I really thought the old lady was creepy as shit. And they do that thing where in the background she's moving differently than she does when she's on camera. So you kind of know that it's Pennywise. I loved it all. And then there's she turns into that monster thing at the end of it. And it looks like something on evil dead too, which is funny, but not supposed to be what they're going for in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it just, I'm like, but you just ruined, like you had like five minutes of good lead up and then ruined it with just shitty monster. That could have been way better because it's CGI. You could have just erased that and put something better in. <laughs> like it's, 
it's annoying and like not all like not all the cgi is bad like the the scene in the chinese restaurant where like where all those little things are bursting out of the uh fortune cookies that was great those those things were awesome Mm -hmm. so it's just it was really hit or miss and i don't know just not quite good enough for something that's three hours long yeah so what did you think of uh, Richie and Eddie's relationship or lack thereof, I guess? Because this is one of the big problems I had with the movie. I don't yeah. really care that Richie's gay. Like, if you want to change that character, that's fine. But for me, it's obviously something they came up with for part two. Yes. If they would have had something in part one that led down that path and made us see you connect the dots and you'd be like, oh, okay, I see all this. Yeah, I feel like it just comes out of nowhere in the second it, movie. Yeah, and worse than it comes out of nowhere because I had it spoiled for me going in. Mm. It is the air quotes foreshadowing is just so heavy handed, right? Like that opening scene yeah. where there's like the gay bashing scene, and it's like it's a, it's a difficult scene to watch. It's well shot, like the violence works and stuff, but it's like watching that knowing where it's headed is like, do we really? It, it, it feels forced in. It feels like they know that they should have done something in the first movie to set this up, but they also know they didn't. So now they're going to try to force us to get it set up before we get there. Cause there's that. And then there's like the scene where he's playing the arcade game with that other kid. Yeah. And, and it, the implication is that he's got a crush on that other kid or whatever. So he wants him to keep playing games with them. And that leads to a lot of words getting thrown around that we don't hear very often in movies nowadays. Um, but whatever it's, yeah, like I say, forced is the, is the best word for it. Um, I don't, and I, and I've I've said this before. I don't care if a a character in a movie is gay. I don't think making that a major plot point works at this stage in filmmaking. I just don't think having, you know, the, the reveal that the character's gay isn't, a shocking turn of events to me anymore. I don't care. I've seen it happen too many times. I feel like society has gotten to a point where most people don't care. So why are we still trying to use that? Mm-hmm. Go, go, go back in time and make your movie in the nineties when that would have been more relevant. So I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, that was one of my biggest issues with part two besides the ending, which I mean, yeah, is atrocious in itself, but just the storytelling of that whole plot line just did not make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, and then the ending where they basically just make fun of him and then Pennywise melts yeah. away. Yeah, again, that was spoiled for me, so <laughs> I, I knew it was coming, and I'm just like, I don't. I'm pretty sure that me and Noah spoiled it for you on the show because we it's went plausible. to a, a deep rant about it. And you literally asked if we were making shit up because that sounded horrible. And we had to be like, no, this is literally how the movie ends. Uh, that might be why I didn't see it till now. <laughs> it's possible. I can't, I can't remember every little detail of why I didn't see the movie till now, but fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, had such a, such a, such a downward fall after the first movie. Cause the first movie was so good. And then, terrible a real a real step down and i didn't love the first movie as much as most people did 
So I, uh, to take this far of a step down makes this like I was watching it with my niece. She's, she loves Pennywise. So I was, you know, I might've turned it off if she hadn't been here because I'm just like, the length is a real problem for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, maybe if you want to tell the story and you know, I, I get that like we're, you know, armchair quarterbacking here, but maybe if you want to tell the story and you want six hours, do it as like a mini series again or something and spread it out, you know, for streaming, you can get away with the hard R stuff, but yeah, yeah, I just, I don't, like I'll never watch this version of it again because it's just not good enough to, for me to set aside a day to watch the story. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's just, that's what you have to do. So I was, yeah. Yeah. I found it interesting that, yeah, the chapter two, the length of that movie is the length of the entire miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> from the nineties. Yeah. And there's just so much added in that it's just like added in. It's been, I full disclosure. I haven't read the, I didn't reread the book because who the fuck has time to reread it. But you know, um, like there's the whole thing with the James McAvoy character when he's riding around on his bike and he meets the other kid and then Pennywise is going to go get that kid and he goes and chases him down at the fair. I'm like, I can't remember if that's from the book or not. It's not. But I'm like, it's it's like 10 minutes or 15 minutes of a three hour movie that you just don't need. It doesn't need to be in there at all. Like you could excise that kid character from the movie entirely and you take that time back because you you don't have again maybe some people love watching a three-hour movie for me it has to be a good movie to sit through for three hours and Mm -hmm. if you're this movie was not of the quality to keep my attention that long so just edit some of that shit out uh andy muschietti the director has talked about wanting to do like a, a super cut of it which would be both parts edited together and to make it play more like the book. Because the book uh, flashes back to the past and the present. Yeah. Um, all the way through the entire book. And then sort of both of their confrontations with Pennywise sort of play out at the same time. Um, yeah. Whereas obviously every every way they've done it since then, they've cut it into two parts the kid half and the adult half but and, and that's where a um like a mini series might work right because you could do like you could if you did like six or seven half hour episodes and they were flashing back and forth so you could do a full episode when it's convenient you could do a full episode in one of the two time frames and then do a full episode in the other time frame the next week kind of thing Mm-hmm. That might that might be a really interesting way to tell the story, and then have your climax, your final episode, be flashing back and forth between the two. Um, I don't know. That would I think a lot of that would come down to the quality of the filmmaking. But yeah. who knows? About another twenty years, they'll remake it again. Yeah, yeah. And those kids will be growing up in today's world, and they're then the second half will be whatever the fuck <laughs> the world is going to be like then. <laughs> Uh, did you watch anything else? Uh, not really. Uh, I, I did introduce my kid to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, oh, which yeah. was super fun because, you know, he was asking about like the modern Spider-Man movies. And I'm like, how do I explain 
no way home to a four-year-old <laughs> like just trying to get the context of it all to make it make sense i'm like it's not going to work right but i'm like here's this simple one it has green goblin in it you like green goblin in the cartoon right yeah all right let's do that right so it's like well lando uh, if we're gonna do this properly we're gonna have to watch 25 movies for yeah. you to understand the new spider-man it's like it's like some of them don't have as much punching in them as you might hope it's it's a bit of an issue but um yeah no it was super fun to watch with him because he's just enthralled right like what you and i might see as campy or corny to him is just comic book movie he just loves it and the costume looks right and there's a wrestling match in the middle of it and you know all the good stuff then you'll watch part two and then he'll be like all right is there a third one you're gonna be like nope this is it they don't Things he's he's these two. He's learned he's learned about Venom. He's asked like, "Can we watch a Venom movie?" And I'm like, "No." Like they made some, but no, I don't want to fucking sit through those. (laughs) (laughs) Like like Spider-Man Three, it's just wrong what they did with Venom in that movie. And then Venom, I couldn't get through. I've never seen the part of Venom that has Venom in it because that movie's not good enough to hold my attention before the title character shows up. There's a fan edit of Spider-Man 3 that's actually pretty good. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. They basically cut out anything that has to do with Venom. So all of the Black Suit Spider-Man stuff, all the Venom stuff, and basically just made it Spider-Man and Sandman. Okay. It's like 15 minutes long. It's real short. I think it's 45 I just, I, but it's, it's real good. To... I mean, fucking the, I, the the. I think the biggest the biggest travesty of that movie is that uh, oh, I'm gonna get his fucking name wrong. Thomas Hayden Church. Thank you. Thomas Hayden Church did such a fucking great job as Sandman, mm-hmm. in that that story in the movie was actually pretty good. In that yeah. there was that other shitty movie piled on top of it there was yeah yeah i mean it was the classic case of studio interference and it's just like they should have just let Raimi make his spider-man 3 and brought in someone else to do the venom storyline as part four and that franchise would have lasted a lot longer if they'd just done that but yeah they're too stupid bunch of dummies because given the like the movie climate of the time, they could have even recast. Like nobody would have cared. Mm-hmm. I didn't. There was just all sorts of mistakes. And what's uh, cast and what's his face is Eddie Brock was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that made no sense. I remember when they made that announcement, they were like that dude from that '70s show, and I was like, which one? Not none of them make sense. Oh, the skinny tool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think what Raimi was trying to do, like, he didn't want to do Venom at all. The fucking studio forced it on him. And I think his thought was, what if I do the, like, dark shadow version of Spider-Man? So he's, you know, similar build, similar height. He's all wisecracky and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it didn't work. There's too much dancing. I don't know. There was way too much dancing in that movie. You know the appropriate amount of dancing is in the Spider-Man movie. It's the the nun. Zero. Yeah, you want no dancing. So, I don't know. I think you can always 
uh, have a bad guy doing a short little dance. But it has to be it has to be the bad guy. No. And generally it has to be gloating. No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't even want to know. I don't want to picture it. I don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> I did, I did tell my kids I was like three. I was with my kid. I was like, you know, there's another one where he fights Dr. Octopus. And the kid's like, Dr. Octopus, he's all excited. And I'm like, yeah. But yeah, there's problems with that movie too when it comes to like Aunt May bouncing around on the side of a building in part two. <laughs> <laughs> that's not okay. Yeah, but I feel like that's that's in line with the comics that he was drawing inspiration from. Sure. Just oh, Aunt May's in trouble again. Spider Man swing in and save her. Yeah. Yeah, except I. Those those first two Raimi Spider Mans, I don't have any complaints. They were fine. They were as good as they could have been. Yeah. Did you ever watch the uh, the Gar- Andrew Garfield ones? They are not as good as they could have been. I yeah, I watched the first one, and I'm like, I hated it in a lot of ways, all the ways really. Um, the story was poorly told. There was too much of it was ripped off from the Raimi films, but then they acted like they weren't remaking it. But I'm like, you are, though. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it was just it was a lot of nonsensical shit. It was a lot of it was just like and I know it's a bit nitpicky for me, but it's like like, oh, we're updating it. So it's in the modern times and he uses a digital camera now, but he still has a label maker at home that he uses to mark his camera. And I'm like, no, he can't do both of those things. Like, <laughs> it's just annoying shit like that. And there's like video game scene at the end of it when he's like clearly like going down that one thing and it's like this is obviously you made this scene so this could be in a video game because he's got to swing from each crane to crane to crane to make it down the street or whatever oh yeah what the fuck are you doing like yeah you're right in a video game that would be a fun little challenge in your fucking movie you don't need to do it it's stupid wasn't that uh wasn't that the uh Oh hey, look! Our pal Spider Man needs some help. Let's all help him out. And they all turn the yeah. cranes to like, right? Yeah, that's because they're totally not remaking the Raimi Spider Man, where all the people showed up on the bridge and threw stuff at goblins so Spider Man could <laughs> save the kids. Right. <laughs> it, uh, I forgot about that. It's yeah, it, that was just a bad movie. I'm uh, I'm a little sad that the Garfield movies wasted Gwen Stacy. Yeah, and so we're probably never going to get a good Gwen Stacy. Well, and yeah, like when you get into the modern films, which I like, like I'm not complaining, but they had to weave them into an existing MCU, and they were smart enough to know that nobody wants to see a fucking origin story again, right? Yeah. So they just did this thing where he's already going, and they, you know. Iron Man takes over as his leadership role kind of thing. And they, they use that to play up the death element of it. And even some of the responsibility that he has to learn comes from that instead of from his uncle. And it's like, it's well done, but it does feel like we're not getting those. We're not, we're never going to get the best Spider-Man, which they've now got doing the real Spider-Man story because they've Mm got to be part of this giant, bigger thing. Yeah. Two. Robot. Right. Brian, you're, 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 
about you're 100 robot. robot i feel God like damn. brian was asking me you're if robot. i watched anything else but i have no idea if that's what actually happened <laughs> it, it's not i just said that was <laughs> <laughs> you you cleared up to say i was just saying that and then the second you started saying it you went robotic again it's you're criticizing disney again are you they're they're interfering with our feed mm. <laughs> and now he just won't speak fuck it then no i'm here right. it's just bullshit well then why don't you tell us what you watched but don't do it as a robot do it as brian uh well i watched woodstock 99 okay and uh uh got to relive how terrible that fiasco was um you remember, you guys remember what happens whenever you take an event that was kind of this big, spontaneous, uh, crazy thing that happened that was about hippie culture and, and anti-conformity and instead have it sponsored by fucking Pepsi? <laughs> oh, yeah, trust me. They talk a lot about that shit. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just an interesting to kind of go back to that time and look at everything and be like, well, of course this was a fucking disaster. Like, look at all the shit leading up to it. Um, but they, they do specifically point out how it was just Woodstock 99 was a bunch of like hat backwards, no shirts, dude bros the for like the entire weekend. And then they just, of course, ruin everything for everybody. As they are apt to do. Yeah. Woodstock 99, you know, is a problem because it's like, okay, Woodstock 94 happened. And it's like, okay, interesting idea to try to recreate that in a modern era. And yeah. then they're like, now we'll just do it every five years because fuck it. We made enough money on that one. And you're like, oh, no, now you're, it's, you've lost, it's no longer interesting. It's yeah. just a marketing ploy and it's going to attract all the wrong people. Was it, was it 94 or 99 where they started ripping the park benches apart to set them on fire? Uh, that was 99. Yeah. 94 actually went off without really much of a problem. Um, still overly commercialized and, uh, you know, whatever, but there was no, like, big failings like there was in 99. Because um, number also- one... I was just going to say, there's also no Limp Biscuit 94, which I think is uh, probably one of the biggest advantages. <laughs> there is that, too. Um, there was, uh, so they held the 99 on an, an abandoned Air Force base, which nothing screamed the spirit of Woodstock, like holding stuff on an old military base. Um, and, of course, it was like 110 degrees out, so everybody's standing around on blacktop for the entire weekend. And... All of the uh, porta potties stopped working. They were, they were overflowing. Uh, nobody was collecting garbage, so garbage cans were overflowing with all of the uh, food vendor trucks and everything. And yeah, it was just a gigantic mess. And they over they basically oversold like way too many tickets. So there's way too many people there. <laughs> and then they talk about the lineup, which is just a bunch of aggressive like new metal bullshit from from that time period. And just how that just got all these rich white boys all riled up and then led to them, you know, destroying everything. Yeah. So it's an interesting watch. Just an interesting, like, because they have people who actually attended 
like to interview some of them, kind of reflect on everything. Um, some of the people that uh, created the festival, like thing is one of the organizers of it is one of the organizers from the original Woodstock. Like they show old footage of him when he was like super young and putting the original Woodstock together. And then just, yeah, everything, everything fell apart. What you mean? You mean an old hippie became a commercialized fucking asshole and it ruined everything for the next generation. That that seems far fetched. I can't imagine anything like that happening in society. (laughs) Except for the entire fucking generation of them. Yeah, uh, and then they do pin a lot of uh, blame on Limp Bizkit, So Always blame Limp Bizkit, I'm telling you. <laughs> Whatever your problem you're having in life right now, it's probably because of Limp Bizkit. Uh Some people try to defend Limp Bizkit, and I don't know where I fall on it, because some of them are just like, look, they're Limp Bizkit. So they're doing exactly what you hired them to do. So, well, it's, somebody it's who I very yeah. much like and very much care about his favorite Char. band is his favorite Char, band. Char. No, it's oh, a, his. Uh, so your wife's his, favorite band his, was Limp Bizkit? No, his favorite band is Limp Bizkit, and it to no end upsets me. Be like, how dare you? How dare you be a person that I slightly respect and like Limp Bizkit? Well, things like you can enjoy Limp Bizkit on that level of just like it's aggressive and it's angry and sometimes you just want that but then to turn around and argue that it's objectively good is just ludicrous it's just yeah yeah. oh yeah i bought the one album back when it was out yeah because i thought the songs were catchy but i also recognized oh these guys are fucking tools yeah i i don't even get the aggressive and angry part like Fred Durst it just is sounds like a, just a whiny bitch. Yeah, but he's singing songs about breaking stuff, and that's what yeah. white people hear. <laughs> this is this is the real motherfucking deal, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> the big chainsaw. Fucking uh, Obi well, drowns in a toilet. He did. He did. He whined all that stuff to the bank. So I can't. Uh, I don't know. But then there's like other bands like Corn and stuff. Like that comment that there was only two female performers the entire weekend. And it was Alanis Morissette and Jewel. And then like every new metal band you can imagine. And then, Metall- and then Metallica. And that, that was like, the, yes, that was the lineup. I don't think, yeah, like I don't think I've ever even looked at the lineup for Stockman. Yeah, I had no interest yeah. in it. Jewel? Jewel and Alanis Morissette, well, the only two I get, I get Alanis Morissette because Alanis Morissette had one song that was slightly angry, and so people thought that that was the kind of music that she did. But but Jewel, well, Jewel <laughs> totally belongs at a Woodstock event. It's just that wasn't a Woodstock event. <laughs> no. Like when they contacted her and they're like, "We're doing Woodstock again," and she's probably like, "Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like something I'd love to be a part of." And then she probably got there and saw the rest of the lineup and went, "Oh." Look at that. Like yeah. Meredith Brooks. Meredith Brooks would have made sense. I'm a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> no. It was. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting. To watch. It's interesting to watch all these people who sort of went through it and are now able to look back on it and be like, yeah, that shit was fucked up. And then, of course, you know, you have all the MTV footage, so you get to see everything as like everything starts burning down. 
I mean, I'll be honest. If I got there and found out that Limp Biscuit and Jewel were going to be there and I was going to have to listen to it, I might have burned something down, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then it's funny because, like I said, they kind of blame Limp Biscuit for a lot of stuff because, uh, you know, they're getting all aggressive and they did the song Break Shit. And that's when people started like pushing the camera towers over and like all that crazy shit. But, but what did you think they were going to do? Oh, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like it's you hired Limp Biscuit. That's that's what you get. Um, but then the interesting thing is they don't blame the Red Hot Chili Peppers for stuff. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers were the closing band of the of the entire event. And that's when all the fires started. And, you know, somebody comes out on stage and tells, uh, what's his face, Anthony Kiedis, to have people move so fire trucks can get in. And he tells them, like, hey, you know, there's going to be fire trucks coming. Make sure everybody gets out of the way. Let them get through. Because the fires were far enough back from the stage so that, you know, they weren't, nobody was in, like, immediate danger. But if, you know, fire trucks coming through, you need to move and let the firemen get where they need to go. But then after that, they all broke out into uh, Fire by Jimi Hendrix. So it's sort of like, all right, well, I mean, I guess you can blame Lip Biscuit, but it um, doesn't sound like the Red Hot Chili Peppers helped a whole lot. Well, and you could probably just blame the people who started the fire and the incompetent idiots who were running the thing and not try to blame any Oh, that's totally what it is. Like, like, they talked to one of the security guards. <laughs> and I use security guards loosely because he explains how you got certified to be a security guard for the event, which is you went and took a three hour class. And then basically the instructor told you all the answers for the test you had to take. And then you took the test and ta-da, you passed. Uh, he said, he said when the, the first night security guard showed up they got their security shirt they got their little badge that lets them in everywhere he's like and they had a bunch of a uh, bunch of the security guards just sort of melted into the crowd and we never saw them again so awesome. they basically just showed up for a free pass to go see woodstock so i'm not so gonna lie like, yeah i, I kind of have more respect for those guys than i do for anybody else in this story <laughs> it's a pretty good idea <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, it's interesting. It's worth a watch. If you get a chance to watch it, I would, I would recommend it. It's it's interesting to look back on it. It's just one of the biggest, craziest events that happened in the late nineties. Sponsored by Pepsi Clear. Well, Pepsi Clear was long gone by then. <laughs> I think that uh, was ninety four. That's no, possible. Uh, let's see. I watched a documentary called Hail to the Deadites, which is supposed to be all about Evil Dead shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not good. Really? Um, not. Uh, I've been seeing it highly promoted everywhere, and I saw it pop up, and I was like, oh, it's like a $4 rental. I'll give that a watch. It's the kind of shit I like to watch. And, uh, yeah, they didn't license any uh, any footage from any of the movies. Which is fine. I mean, maybe it's expensive. Sure, I get it. And then it's all about uh, just sort of people who really love Evil Dead, which is, again, fine. They talk to, like, Bruce Campbell and a couple other people who are involved with the movies. Um, but then as I'm watching it, I'm like, what the fuck's going on with this? Like, they're commenting on shit that happened. Like, 
the conventions they're going to are dated like 2013. What? So then I, I found out this dude shot this thing like, yeah, eight years ago and has re edited it like 10 times and finally like just edited this part together and got it. Some distributor picked it up. So all the shit's in it like is like eight years old. All right. So they don't even talk about Ash versus Evil Dead because none of that shit happened when they filmed it. So I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And one of sort of the the people they talked to, they got engaged like at one of the conventions in front of the Evil Dead exhibits. Yeah. And then they got married a year later and the documentary crew came to the wedding. So they got married and stuff and you know they had all this evil dead stuff because that's what they were really into and all that stuff and then uh at the end when the credits are rolling and they start updating you on everybody they're like oh yeah this couple got divorced a year after their wedding and are now married to other people and have children with those people well so it's just like a long time man yeah it's like a whole lot of life has happened since you filmed this like this the whole thing just doesn't seem relevant anymore so, and it was just, it was, I don't know, it's kind of amateurishly put together. So I was not a fan. All right. I was contemplating watching that. It's off the list. Yeah. Don't watch it. Uh, caught up with the forever purge. Um, I don't know. It's a purge movie. Yeah. They're, I, they're I, a little... I gotta go back and like rewatch that series. Start to finish. Yeah. Uh, they're a little bit on the nose with stuff in this one, but I mean, I feel like they've been that way in the last couple movies, so what the fuck do I know? But this one's all about, uh, takes place more down in the Texas area, so deals a lot more with people hating Mexicans and immigration stuff and, you know. I mean, you could easily integrate that into a Purge movie. I can see how that would work. Yeah. But... Do you necessarily need it? Mm, not really. Like it's good. Like I, it's fine. Like I enjoyed it well enough. But it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, surprising me with anything. It's just sort of like, yeah, I, I get what you're talking about. Um. Then I guess right before I came down here to record, me and Amanda watched the Vice documentary China, all about the wrestler. Oh, I watched that like a few weeks ago. That's yeah. uh, that's depressing. <laughs> Very depressing. Like it's a good documentary, but it's just kind of yeah. like, oh, I feel so bad because she just had terrible people around her that just basically uh, killed her. She was just such a broken person, and it's just so sad. Yeah, like yeah, kind of like the early stuff in the documentary was like. I actually was really enjoying because I got to see she was talking about how happy she was, like, you know, getting into wrestling. She kind of found what she's what she was good at and all the stuff that she enjoyed doing. And then pretty much as soon as the uh, Triple H Stephanie stuff happened, it's like, oh, it's all downhill from here. And then all the uh, all the current stuff. um was really sad because it seemed like she had gotten herself together somewhat. She probably wasn't perfect, but I mean, she had 
was living in Japan teaching English and stuff and doing a bunch of stuff. And then she tried to come home and rebuild her career. But I feel like her manager was just a terrible, terrible person. And then yeah, yeah. The, fucking, the fucking documentary crew he got to, because they were like making a documentary about her when she died. And then they lost control of all that footage afterwards through some other legal shenanigans. So then this crew was using that footage to kind of document her last days. And it really seems like nobody involved was looking out for her best interests, even though they were all claiming to be. Yeah. And I don't know if they were terrible people or if they were stupid people. You know what I mean? You get that weird area where you're like, they seem to care about her, but then in a lot of ways they don't like, they don't understand how to do that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like they think the, the key to the key to helping her is to help her get famous again in a lot of ways. And it's like, that's not what she needs very clearly to just any yeah. average person watching this. Yeah. And yeah. That shit was just terrible. Specifically, I mean, like, there was the one guy that was, like, a producer or whatever. That was basically, like, he said he was hanging out with her for, like, three months, like, every day. And it seemed like everything was fine, and then he left. And then everything went downhill, like, the next weekend. And then the director was high on heroin or whatever, and then her fucking manager just seemed like a giant douchebag. Uh, It was just just all around bad. It was just, like, not... When whoever decided that they were going to bring her back from Japan and have her get famous again, that just never should have happened. And no, like if if you followed her life previous to this documentary, like previous to her kind of disappearing, it was obvious to anyone who was watching. Like there was all of these interviews with her, like crying on TV. And then there's like the whole porn thing. And you're like, like, she's clearly a damaged person. If she was getting by fine over in Japan, that's sometimes that's the best people get is getting by fine. So just leave yeah. them alone and let them do that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I got uh, got reminded of all this shit that I got really pissed off at WWE about when she was still alive, and they basically were just ignoring her. Well, they show that that clip of uh, Triple H like talking about why she's not in the Hall of Fame and stuff. And I'm like, He's, all right, you, you say all this, and I I understand it to an extent. But then, like, she dies, and then, like, a year and a half later, they put her in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I'm like, well, but that doesn't really add up. If those are the reasons you listed for why she's not in the Hall of Fame. Well... It's 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 tough. Like a year and a half after she doesn't clean all that stuff up. When she when he was when I was watching the interview with Triple H where he's saying like basically we we're a kids friendly product right now and we can't just have kids googling her and finding all that shit and like specifically some of the stuff she did that was you know no. pretty dark. Um, it's just like yeah I get it. You know what I mean? Like it's, I do understand their perspective. They are a business, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a sports hall of fame where you earn your way in. It's just, it's a marketing thing, basically. I'm, I mean, yeah, but they, they put Jake the Snake in the hall of fame, and if you do a Google search of him, I would argue, if you do, that's a gr- way fucking darker than uh, China sucking some dicks on camera. If you do it. 
Google search of Jake the Snake, you don't find video of people dressed up as other wrestlers fucking him, which is what you find if you Google search China. Yeah, but it just saved everyone at home I, a little trouble. It's, I was going to say, but once <laughs> once again, I I get that, but his shit is way worse than that. His shit is worse than that if you're living it. His shit is not worse than that from a marketing perspective. I don't accept that. From a marketing perspective, <laughs> uh, the average parent finds out that somebody's doing drugs and heroin and beating his wife and whatever else went on doesn't really care that much. They find out that somebody's in porn. The average parent makes their kids stop watching that. Not saying that's right, just saying that's how it is. Again, their job is marketing, right? Mm, I I suppose. But at the same time they were making those speeches, didn't they have Mickey James on the payroll? Mm-hmm. Who who did porn? I don't know that she did I don't know that about her. I don't know anything about Mickey James. She she did some porn. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's, it's literally that's literally where she came from. But were any of them people dressed up as current day wrestlers? No. In the porn video. Like that's a that's a real I can I can completely understand why they don't want their audience watching that. Yeah. But there is also a but on that where basically WWF at the time was totally sponsoring it and on board with her being in Playboy. And I know Playboy and yeah. porn are two different things. So I mean there is yeah. a little bit of a a little bit of a a line even between those. But I don't know if you can be like, Well, we were cool and even like promoted that you were on Playboy and made a big storyline out of it on TV. But then don't want you to do any adult stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's not like there was a whole storyline where Edge and his girlfriend fucked on stage in front of a. Right? Yeah, yes, but all that happened during the Attitude Era, not when they decided to go back to the family friendly product. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I just feel like it's all semantics. It's all about whatever they want at the moment, and yeah, for sure, that's cause... that's what they wanted at the moment. And then, and like I said, as soon as she died. Oh yeah, we should put her in the Hall of Fame because she's dead now, and because her death made her death made headlines, and it was good marketing to pay yeah. tribute to her. Is what oh, it yeah. was. Like, make no mistake about it. Now, I mean, there's there's good criticism of any employer where you've got that many people who are having that many emotional and addiction issues that doesn't do something to help their employees. There's something there. You can you could. Yeah offer any criticism of that because it's obvious that the wrestling industry leads to a certain amount of excess and drug use and everything else and they should be helping to take care of the people who they're clearly hurting but as far as the hall of fame thing goes like I say it's it's a marketing decision i'm sure there was a marketing meeting but it's probably even a special meeting about who's going to be the guy that says what triple h said in that interview about why they can't put her in and somebody decided it should be him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And then, like, at the end, they just wouldn't even talk to her. Like, I feel if even if they just talked to her, not saying they had to rehire her, but, I mean, she's just trying to get a hold of somebody just to talk to him about something. And it's just like everybody was just like, nope, won't even take her phone calls, won't even acknowledge her existence. But again, I believe after they put her in the Hall of Fame, they started putting out China shirts, and I'm sure they mm-hmm. 
sold a lot of those. So it's just, it's just gross. The whole yep. documentary, and towards the end, everything just felt gross. When her fucking manager is sitting there talking to her about all the drugs they have to get her, like Adderall or whatever. And uh, she's about to have a phone call with Dr. Drew because he's a friend of hers and he is actively concerned for her health at the moment because he hasn't talked to her since she got back from Japan. And he's like, her manager's like, well, we got to get all this stuff, but let's not tell Dr. Drew about that because he'll say we shouldn't. And then... Dr. Drew is a whole separate question, though, of like guy that claims he's there to help, but then when the opportunity to turn helping people into a TV show came along... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Trust there's, me, no, there's a, no good guys in the story. No. He's got a lot of problems, too. But I do feel like from a doctor's standpoint, he at least was like... I mean, you literally hear him say, like, you need to stop doing all this stuff because you will die from it. And it yeah. literally happens. And it seems like he was the only person telling her that for some reason. Everybody else was all like, oh, I don't know. She seemed fine. And they show her on video. And it's like, she's not fine at all. Yeah. So, ugh. It's depressing. Yeah, it was not. Very informative. Very informative. Very interesting. But, man, depressing. Uh... Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right. Well, I guess we should talk about what we're going to do next week. And since it's my pick, I uh, am not ready and have not picked anything for us to watch. <laughs> You're supposed to be the boss around here. Aren't you organized well, <laughs> yell at the rest of us when we don't get ready? I looked at stuff and I'm like, oh, okay. And now I can't remember what it was at all. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's do... Uh, Let's do Death Wish and Vigilante, if those are even available anywhere. Okay. I guess I should look at that before I proclaim that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I have access to both of them, but... Can you make them available through movies anywhere? Because then we would all have access to... I'm sure Death Wish is easy to find. Vigilante is the one I'm more concerned about. Death Wish is available... Death Wish 3, you say? <laughs> oh god i clicked on the remake of death wish that's not even ugh, Oof, um, you guys know i watched that i watched that remake one week and then didn't tell you guys i watched it because <laughs> i wouldn't either uh the originals basically you can rent it anywhere and then yeah. uh vigilante uh is also oh vigilante's on tubi so I don't believe it is here, but also says it's available to rent on like Amazon and YouTube. Uh, appears to be on Shutter here. Oh yeah, it's also on Shutter, but I didn't uh, think you had a Shutter subscription anymore, so I, I do not. But get excuse to create a fake email and get a second Shutter <laughs> free trial. <laughs> Oops, did I say that part out loud? I didn't. I'm pretty sure I didn't mean to. Uh, let's see, Death Wish is not available on movies anywhere, which is weird since it's a Disney product. Uh, and it's a Disney product. I might be able to watch it through Disney Plus. And Vigilante is not available on movies anywhere either. Right. So. But they might be on YouTube. Death Wish full movie. It's available to rent on YouTube, so they usually strike those ones out. Mm. I'm not paying to see it. Don't tell anyone I said that. <gasps> um, 
vigilante. Do you bite your thumb at Charles Bronson, sir? I I actually am not a huge fan of Death Wish, so I'll have, I haven't uh, watched it in a long time, but we might be yelling at each other next week. Uh, and then it looks like Vigilante's on uh, YouTube in full. It's like an hour okay. and a half. See Save that. Right. Save ripping off Shutter for another time. <laughs> um... All right, so next week we are doing two different uh, Vigilante movies. One of them is very, very much named Vigilante. Uh, It's not just named Vigilante. It's very much named Vigilante. (laughs) As opposed to those other movies that are only almost named Vigilante. Yeah. We're not doing a Vigilante. We're doing Vigilante. They're two different movies all together. (laughs) There, I saved it to watch later on the on the old YouTube profile. Um, I have both of them on Blu-ray, so I should be watching them that way. But for you plebs, you, can you watch haven't told us what the second movie is yet. Um, and then the other one is the uh, other vigilante movie with one uh, Chuck Bronson. Uh, Death Wish. I hope you do a good job editing this whole section of the podcast, Brian. So, Robert Forrester. Uh, Robert Forrester and Charles Bronson uh, shooting people because they don't like going to their neighborhood. Yeah. And then it slowly devolves into weird racist ghetto murder in the center in the sequels. <laughs> I got to check out all the sequels. I've never seen them. And. I feel like I'm going to like them more because it just turns into stupid shit. (laughs) I have all the death wishes. I only got up to part three, though. Um, So I need to watch the last two. Because I know three, three uh, canon took over, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Canon end up making one that's like very much set in like a single apartment building because they're canon and that's what their budget would allow. Well, that was part three. Was it? Okay. Yeah. It's sort of like the, uh, the story from uh, Harry Brown. Okay. Charles Bronson's friend gets killed or whatever and he gets pissed. So he starts like hunting down the thugs that killed him in this specific apartment building. Might have just talked me into watching Harry Brown again because god damn that's a good movie that's a better movie than anything we're going to talk about next week uh, that's very true oh yeah here i just pulled up death wish 3 on imdb and the video that has the trailer the first thing that pops up is the uh canon logo awesome uh even though we're not doing vigil maybe we should just do death wish 3 <laughs> <laughs> Uh, has uh, Deanna Troy in it if for all you Star Trek fans. Uh, we, sh- we might be doing a Death Wish 3 at some point in the not-too-distant future. <laughs> it's going on the list. <laughs> She's... Old, old Deanna Troy's got a, uh, an interesting filmography. Mm-hmm. She also did... I think her first movie's actually like a women in prison film. Oh. oh. Well, in Death Wish 3, she shows, she shows a booby. She so, shows she shows a boob in a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, but it's in the act of someone trying to rip her shirt open to rape her. So, uh, mm, you know, less bueno. 
gives you conflicting feelings about her showing a booby when you realize what it's for. <laughs> I think we should stop using the phrase a booby. It sounds too weird. <laughs> booby? <laughs> it sounds like the goal of a third year of a third grade boy. I'm just like, I hope one day yeah. I see a booby. <laughs> Someday. I mean, there isn't there isn't really a good way to say that. No, there isn't. A teat? A teat, maybe? <laughs> Perhaps we should not just be discussing movies strictly in that context. We should put a little bit more analysis into it. What kind of I mean, show do you think you're on? It could be worse you could have said breast. Is there anything worse than somebody saying breast in a conversation? Uh, I, memory gland? During a discussion of chicken, I often use the term breast because it is my favorite portion. And I don't feel bad about that at all. Yeah, I think that's accurate. <laughs> Memories. <sighs> also bad. Yeah. Dirty pillows. <laughs> that, that's awesome. So <laughs> it's one thing Carrie gave us, it's dirty pillows. Um, so I went to a rage room over the weekend. Yeah. And I was really excited because I'm like, I get to go break a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. Hoping like it'll let me let out some like anger or whatever. Not that I'm holding on to a ton, but just. Uh, where is this? I need it. Yeah. Frustration. <laughs> frustration in life. Do they have rage rooms in Canada? I feel like people are too polite up there. They're like, oh, Apology well, rooms. Apology rooms. I don't believe I've ever been to a rage. I've heard of an actual rage room. When I, like when you posted it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I know exactly what that is. But I don't mm-hmm. know that I've ever heard of one. Maybe I'll try to imagine on there. But before Brian tells the story, I'm going to guess that you went and everything in the room was already broken, which was just extra upsetting. No, no, they have fresh stuff for you to break every time you, uh, you go. They well, have like, well, damn it, that that sweet sweet irony would have been so much better. Uh, they have they have like tubs of stuff. Like you pay, like we paid for half an hour. And we had they they have like tubs of like dishes and stuff for all ready for you. Um, I was excited. I'm like, I feel like I'm gonna get some anger out, just you know, vent some frustration. Like like I feel like Doug just mentioned. I feel like Doug needs it right now. Uh, not just right Especially, now. I need. I just need it like Thursdays on my way home from work. Go to the rage room. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I don't know. I saw it in some therapy show, like couples therapy or something that was on VH1, where you could go and just break shit. And they did it as a therapy exercise where you would yell out the things you were mad about and then, you know, destroy that with physical violence. Um, And this one wasn't that uh, streamlined, like it wasn't that specific. But I'm just like, oh, man, I can just I feel like I could use just unloading on some stuff. It'd be great. It's been uh, it's, it's been proven to have the opposite effect. Well, number one, I felt like I was shouldn't be doing it the entire time. So I'm just like, oh, I'm breaking someone else's shit, even though that's specifically what it's bought for. Um, it didn't help. They do not give you earplugs. So it's very loud, which I used to like the sound of breaking glass. Like, you know, you go to like a, I don't know, dump or something, just like throwing bottles and shit, but. Was no bueno this time around. It didn't help that the room is like super tiny, and me and Amanda were both in there. So I was like, I had to like pay attention to where I was swinging shit because I didn't want to 
accidentally hit her. Yeah, if you hit so, her, you want it to be on purpose, not accidentally. Yeah, right. And then apparently people are like monitoring it outside, <laughs> like. Which, even though I'm not doing anything wrong, I still feel like that's just weird. Like, this dude just out there watching me break shit. I don't know. It just it felt awkward the entire time. So, I did not end that. up enjoying it as much as I thought I was going to. And then we broke everything. And we still had, like, 12 minutes left on our time. But we're like, we ain't got nothing to do now. So, we left early. That's weird. So, like, you can be out of stuff to break and still... <laughs> you're like, well, what do I... You're just you're put, trying to put shit back together to break it again. <laughs> Well, like, there was still, like, bigger pieces of some plates and stuff, and I'm like, I guess I could pick some of this shit up and break it more, but the entire, like, like I said, this room is pretty small, and the entire floor is just covered in glass. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to go around, like, rooting through broken glass to find bigger pieces. See, I don't, is it weird that I have no interest in breaking glass like that? I would want, like... I would just want to, like, hit a toaster with a sledgehammer. <laughs> Something well, random. When we came in, there was a VCR sitting on the pedestal already. I'll say when there was a, that. Yeah. That and, there, and, there was, and there was a Yanni cassette tape on top of it. So the Yanni cassette tape got destroyed immediately. And then I did smack out the VCR, and it turns out there was a tape inside of it that was blank, so I don't even know what was on it. But I, uh... Busted that shit up too. You just ruined somebody's sex tape from the 80s. <laughs> probably. Uh, I don't know. I probably would have just kept the VCR. I'd be like, if I just leave now, can I, <laughs> can I just keep this? Why just break everything else? But the VCR goes home with me. That's that's uh, something I haven't told you guys about is the fun conversation I had with the guy who's in charge of determining the contents of my home when it was to burn down. And he's like, I don't know how to tell them that you had a VCR there. I'm like, how am I supposed to value that? <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, where, he's like, where did you get it? Did you buy it at a store? And I'm like, you can't buy those at a store. Does that make it more valuable? Cause I can't go buy one at a store. And he's like, no idiot. It's a VCR. <laughs> like there was a copy of jaws on VHS right on top of it. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, just to understand these are valuable collector items yeah I had a copy of Jaws I had a copy of Near Dark if I'd had a copy of Chopping Mall in that house I'd be very very upset on VHS I should say yeah yeah and we had discussed last week you have to wait like a whole year before you can start really collecting stuff again yeah still don't know how that's gonna go yeah, I just got a copy, a Blu-ray copy of Running Time with Bruce Campbell in the mouth today. It's one I've been wanting to watch, like, for realize they put it out on Blu-ray. Now I'm sad again about my VHS tapes. <laughs> will they Will they replace all your movies on uh, DVD? Well, yeah, so here's, a, here's another little funny story. So the guys, like, like, their policy on, like, movies is they like count them and they multiply it by like the average price of a movie at walmart and just that's what you get basically right because there's for obvious reasons they're not going to go through you know the hundreds and hundreds of them and don't even try to figure it out um but the guy actually pulled some of my box sets out 
and he like tucked him into a different category as collectibles because he's like it was just clear to me that those shouldn't just be counted like he's just he's like i don't know what any <laughs> of this shit is but he's like obviously it's so he tucked it in under there and and there's a couple of things where he's like this box set is worth like 250 dollars like it is I'd known that. It never would have been in the house. I would have sold that for sure. <laughs> uh, man. See, that's just sad. Yeah. So the movies are gone and the $250 is gone. Exactly. And the house. You know, everything's oh, yeah. trying to try out. But, yeah. yeah, all your clothes, keepsakes, memorabilia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had one pair of cargo shorts and one plain black t-shirt that I was wearing that day, so I still got that. So it's not all my clothes. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's sad. Those cargo shorts should have burned. <laughs> People coming down on cargo shorts, I still got multiple pairs of them. I don't understand. Lots of, lots of stuff to put in the pockets. Listen... I, w- I don't judge people for wearing dumb shit because I dress like a old man on a fishing trip pretty much constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so, old men on fishing trips would yeah. definitely wear cargo shorts, though. So No, 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 no. Straight, straight shorts. No, I don't know if I agree with that. Depends, I guess, what you're fishing for. Yeah. You're in one of those fancy fishing trips where it's like there's a guy that drives the boat for you. No, not that type of fishing trip. I'm talking like old retired man going to Florida to pay someone to take him fishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even consider that fishing. Fishing is where you have to like drive your own boat. And you need the cargo shorts because you put your lures in there. That yeah. that sounds dangerous. You never put a lure in a pocket. You get a hook in your nuts. Well, not, that's why you use the cargo pockets. It's down by the knee. Yeah. It still hurts. Uh, multiple layers through the cargo shorts. You'll be all right. You, you got to wear one of those George Romero vests that has like the billion pockets on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Anyways, this podcast has gotten ridiculous, yeah. and I hope this is all edited out, but I don't have any faith that that will happen. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.